He needs to keep his promises. You don't know what's true anymore. It hurts me to see people burn the flag. Race relations. It tells me I can't have a gun. I just don't like the politics. Unbelievable. It's what you've been waiting for all day. America Now. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Oh my, it is a great day to be in the radio business, my friends. Some days you walk into the studio team, Buck, and you just have to smile a bit to yourself because we've got so much to talk about today. And a lot that I'm looking forward to discussing with you. Uh, what a what a change, what a transition from the tone of the news cycle this morning and then that Trump press conference, which was just straight up wow. Whether you like Trump or hate Trump, it was wow. That was how you had to react to it. That was how I react to it as it was happening. I think I tweeted that. And then I, I heard that Wolf Blitzer also just said, Wow, <laughs> which is a perfect, a perfect way of of getting to it. Uh, Buck Sexton, of course, here with America Now, 844-900-2825, 844-900-2825. What did you think of that Trump presser? I, j- I want to hear it because I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I know I'm supposed to, theoretically at least, because I used to be a CNN political commentator, and uh, I am technically a part of the media, I suppose. I know I'm supposed to be clutching my pearls and just so, oh my gosh, how could Trump? It's just terrible what he's done. Dude, he's so he's so brash and arrogant and good heavens. Well, I loved it. I thought it was great. Because what we've seen the last few days is a gloating partisan media giving itself lots of pats on the back and high fives they're so excited that they were able to bring down general flynn and people say oh trump asked him to trump asked him to resign yeah that's true but they created the environment in which it became necessary for trump to ask for flynn to resign because of all the pressure around him and all the scrutiny on what was essentially a big nothing There was no crime. You'll notice that the FBI not pursuing charges against Flynn. That's a news story today. One, it's not surprising. I'm not even sure it's a news story. It's kind of like saying Buck Sexton is not going to be drafted into the NFL. True. Unfortunate, but true. But also not really a news story. Just a statement of the obvious. They're going to charge Flynn with what? What was this supposed to amount to? I'm just wondering. Someone let me know if they have an answer. You also won't see quite as much coverage of ABC uh, writing a story about ABC News, sharing a story on social media and up on their website, that there's no proof of any Trump-Russia coordination, collusion, the nexus that... All of these news outlets keep referring to, keep insinuating, exists. They've got no proof. They've got nothing. And I think this is really important. But before I get into the Russia-Trump nexus too too much, I, I just want to take a moment with all of you to enjoy that the commander-in-chief, who will make mistakes, as everybody in that role does, but I think he will make his mistakes 
mostly in the pursuit of the good faith exercise of his duties and prom and and the pursuit of his promises that he made to the American people. And he's going to talk to the media in a way that many of us say, finally, finally, we've got somebody who will just push back. This notion that it should be considered normal, that 90% of the media, 90% of journalists, 90% of those who get paid money to disseminate information publicly about current events in this country are Democrats, are Hillary supporters, are Obama voters, are go down the line. Why do we have to take that as normal? We don't have to accept the media as it is. People keep talking about how Trump is bringing about a political revolution. Well, he's also bringing about a media revolution. And it's one that I think we should largely welcome. You saw the reactions and they were gobsmacked. I've never seen anything like this. They were completely uh, thrown off balance. It was amazing. I, I gotta, we, We've got a, a few of the best moments here. i got to let you hear it. Uh, play Trump at the presser, please. The press has become so dishonest that if we don't talk about it, we are doing a tremendous disservice to the American people. Tremendous disservice. We have to talk about it to find out what's going on, because the press honestly is out of control. The level of dishonesty is out of control. The tone, Jim, if you look, the hatred, the, I mean, sometimes, sometimes somebody gets, well, you look at your show that goes on at 10 o'clock in the evening. He's referring you to just Don take Lemon a look show. At that show. I'm actually I having a very good time, a okay? Tomorrow they will say, Donald Trump rants and raves at the press. I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just telling you, you know, you're dishonest people. Nobody so you're not aware of any context look, during look, the course look. of the election. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just Russia say yes or no is a ruse. Yeah, I know you have to get up and ask a question. So important. Russia is a ruse. I have nothing to do with Russia. As Am I going to include? Are who? you going to include the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional? Well, Hispanic I would. Caucus, I tell you what. Do you want to well set up the, the meeting? Do you want to set up the meeting? No, no, no. I, Are they I, friends I, I, of I'm yours? No, get a, set up the I meeting. I know some of them, but I'm sure. Let's go set up right a now. meeting. I would love to meet with the Black Caucus. I think it's great. The Congressional Black Caucus. I think it's great. I thought it was. Speaking of, it's great. I thought the presser was great. I really enjoyed it. I like that the president uh, gets up there, speaks off the cuff. He also addressed so much of what's been dominating the news for the last few days about uh, General Flynn and these leaks and more of these Russia accusations. I mean, the obsession the left has with Russia. The, the birther movement when Obama was in office was always fringe and small. And the Russia Kremlin controls Trump movement is not fringe and small. It is... Mainstream. This is the story. They provide no actual evidence of this. You can see the ABC News story for yourself. There's no actual evidence of it. But they want to come up with some way of alluding to it. Making a general observation in the direction of what we think Russia is controlling. And Trump just took the media to task for that. I I think he is honestly sick of it. I'm sick of it. The moment that they can show me something that makes me think that Donald Trump would not uh, have his country's interests at heart, that he would sell out his country for Russia. 
I'll be one of the first ones that you can possibly hear, or I'll, I'll be standing on the on the front line of, well, we, we've got to we've got to do something about this. You know, maybe it's time for a uh, Trump to step down, and we need a Pence presidency. I don't know, but I've seen nothing like that. And let's be very clear, all of us right now, the media is trying to convince the American public that Donald Trump is a traitor. That's what they're saying. This is how ugly and nasty it's gotten. They're not suggesting that he had some ethically compromising moments with the Russians a few years ago or that he has some business dealings there that might... No, they really they keep walking right up to the line of he will sell out his country for Russia. There are all these stories about the Russia ties, the Russia connections. Russia gave Trump the election. Russia, the Kremlin and Putin and this nexus of authoritarianism that Trump has jumped into. They say this, they write this, they talk about it. I've played people in Congress making these accusations and they have nothing. They have a discredited and disproven dossier that everybody who published it has walked away from now. They have some communications between a soon-to-be national security advisor and a Russian ambassador, which, as Trump said today, was completely within the scope of his job. Nothing weird or strange there. What do they have? But I, I think it's really important that we all keep in mind... The discussion here is not about something minor. They're not just trying to get to the bottom of things. They're not just looking for facts. They are constantly trying to create the perception. They're constantly insinuating. They're constantly creating this, building up this narrative with no evidence and with no proof that the president of the United States is so compromised that he will betray or has already betrayed his country. I don't, I don't know which one they want to pick. They're saying that Trump is a traitor. That's what they are saying. When, they, when people claim that the president of the United States, that the commander-in-chief cannot be trusted because of his Russia connections, because he's so favorable towards Russia, I'm still waiting for evidence of this, by the way. I don't think anyone's going to put, including Vladimir Putin or Sergei Lavrov, I don't think anyone's going to push Secretary of State Rex Tillerson around. The guy can't be bought. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's a very no-nonsense kind of guy. You may have heard the rumors that sometimes during negotiations, he just sort of stands up, walks in the corner, and throws something. That's what I've heard, at least. I don't know if it's true, but you know, this is the urban legend, if nothing else. I don't think anyone's pushing Tillerson around. I don't think the Russians are going to say, you know, come here, you do this, you do that. Nope. But this has become an obsession with the media, and that's why when they get all upset and you've got, uh, I can't even remember the guys, Chuck Todd over at MSNBC, at MSNBC, at MSNBC saying, or writing in a, in, on his Twitter account, that it's, this is no laughing matter. The president is demeaning the press. The press has demeaned itself. The press spent eight years being Obama's personal PR agency. They were running public relations for the White House. And that's why so much of this just doesn't stick with a lot of Americans. We just don't care. 
Oh, he's, you know, he said this and this was not true. Oh, he said this, this is not true. You know what matters to people when it's not true? Telling them that they shouldn't worry, they shouldn't be calling their congressman, everything's going to be fine, because if they like their health care plan, they can keep their health care plan. That, that truly affected people. That was a lie. An out-and-out, out, w- willing and knowing lie. Do you hear anyone calling President Obama a liar? President Obama lied repeatedly to the American people on a critical policy issue. Do they ever call him a liar? Did, did they ever call him a liar? Did anyone in the mainstream media ever say, you know, President Obama, you lied, and you did it a bunch of times, and it, on something that really matters, not on how big the size of your crowd was at your inauguration. Who cares? You lied about the principal, premier policy issue of your administration in a way that was clearly intended to mislead the American people. Did anyone ever ask him that question? So I just don't want to hear the press walking around now saying, oh, he's so bad, he's so mean, look what he's doing. Sorry. This is what it's like to be on the other side. 844-900-2825. We'll be back in a few. Buck Sexton, back with you all now. I, I love the way that the, the press afterwards is just, oh, how, how could he? And they're so upset about it. There's some great moments. He was calling people out at the press conference and saying, you know, I'm not going to get a good question from you. <laughs> Give me your best question. And I know that people say things like the, the presidency, should, there should be a certain decorum. And there, I, I don't know. Do we have to be spoken to all the time? Like we're uh, not human beings capable of making our own decisions. We have, we have to be, have these politicians who drone on. Everything is very, we've heard it all before. It all sounds the same. Why? I don't think we have to do it that way. I like that you have a president who speaks his mind. I like that people just have these uh, discussions and uh, have this back and forth with the commander in chief. Of course, press doesn't like it because he's calling them out. You can tell they're they're annoyed. They're used to having a certain level of access. They're certainly used to after eight years of Obama, a relationship that is synergy based. You could even say it's symbiotic. It's sort of like a shark and a remora. The president was formerly the shark, and now the press, used to being a remora, just along for the ride, well, they've got to work a little harder. Um, They've got to find a way to get the American people to, one, trust them again, especially after what we've seen in recent years. And they've got to come up with more than just Trump is, is a pawn for the Kremlin. Uh, but I, I, we had Jake Tapper over at CNN. This was his description of what happened here. I found this, I found this uh, amusing. Play, play it, please. It was an airing of grievances. It was festivus. It was complaints about the media. Uh, at one point, he said the leaks were real, but the news is fake, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There was a lot more to it than that. He talked also about the policies that he's going to be pursuing. He spoke about inner cities and crime and efforts that he's going to make to bring down violent crime in inner cities. There was a lot that was discussed at this press conference. It, it wasn't just about the media, but of course the media comes out, oh, how could he? He's so mean. Well, why should he be friendly to the press? He mentioned the, the Don Lemon show. I've done that show many times. It's just a, it is just set up to be a visual arena for liberal prejudices, for left-wing biases to constantly be reinforced. 
You know, you you bring in, you know, you have Nicholas Kristoff show up on the Don Lemon show. He's, well, Donald Trump, he's, he's the worst. And he's, you know, fascism is really, you know, and they go, oh, Nicholas Kristoff, New York Times. That's amazing. And then they bring a conservative on there and they're like, oh, so Donald Trump, huge racist. What do you have to say about that one? Up, 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 up. I'm sorry. We got to go to a commercial. But uh, clearly you couldn't defend your candidate there. You couldn't defend your president. Sorry. Bye. You know, go to cut to commercial. And you sit there. You're like, oh, wait, what? What, what 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 just I thought we were that we're gonna have a just no no discussion okay no let's bring Nicholas Kristoff back at it yeah Trump is fascist and he's you know clearly I don't know if he's a, I I think is he one of the ones that wrote in the New York Times about the about creeping fascism I don't know I'm just I'm just picking people at random that I like to do impersonations of but I've certainly seen him a fair amount on the on the on the Lemon Show and you look at the guests they have and the things that they say uh, about Trump and what I find fascinating is just. Just do this for me. Walk through this in your head. Be, I'll take Jake Tapper's concerns about the media and Trump's treatment of them uh, much more seriously when they answer for me the following question. Okay, so their lineup, their primetime lineup is, uh, well, I can't do it all off the top of my head, but their main anchors are Anderson Cooper, Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, uh, who else? Don Lemon, and Aaron Burnett. And I might be missing one or two people, but those are their, their main anchors, their primetime anchors. Does anybody think a single one of them voted for Trump? That's not even really enough. That doesn't. Oh, you could say, well, Buck, maybe they're all Democrats, but they're st- journalists. They go straight down the middle like Brian Williams. He was a real journalist, a journalist, journalist. Yes. Spent a lot of time making sure his tie looked perfect and he knew exactly how to look into the camera. Should have spent more time not making up stories about Iraq. Nonetheless, uh you go down the list of all those anchors at CNN. I mean, MSNBC, we know is left, right? We already, we understand that. So you go down that list and tell me which one, not just, I mean, they all voted Democrat. We know that. They won't say it and, oh, we're journalists. Okay, fine. We don't, I don't know. I wasn't in the voting booth when Wolf Blitzer was there with his majestic beard. Uh, but pretty sure that they all voted Democrat. All of them, based on the way they speak about Trump, the guests they have on, they hate Trump. They despise this guy. And that's obvious. And anybody who watches them comes to that same conclusion. So why the pretense? Why the dishonesty? Why the, oh, no, we're just, we're just journalists, sir. How dare you? We're just telling the facts to the American. No, you're not. This is what they never seem to understand. And when we talk about the mainstream, we, we, I, mainstream media, we could talk about who it really refers to. You know, New York Times, Washington Post, NBC, CNN, uh, MSNBC is different. I, actually, MSNBC, I'm okay with. If you want to start the the you know the Marxist news network, that's fine. Just as long as everybody knows and you don't pretend you're something else, that's fine. Though I, I don't, I've got no beef with that. But these other places, the Times, the Post, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, we're we're all supposed to act like they. Who are the real punchers? Who are the real, rhetorically speaking, the real, rhetorically speaking, bomb throwers who will go on these shows and defend Trump and take the media to task? That's not a member of the Trump administration who's really just there to get hate thrown at him or her. Just go down the line. You can ask yourself that question. And then they look around and go, I don't understand. Why does nobody trust us? Maybe because you're not trustworthy, because you're not honest about who you are, what you believe, and what you are trying to do.
Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. All right, Team Buck, we are back now. We're joined by Andrew McCarthy. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, a best-selling author, and a contributing editor at National Review. Andy, great to have you. Well, great to be with you. Um, let me get your, your just your reaction to that uh, that presser today. It was something. It was definitely something. It was something else, I might even say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, look, it's, it's, I think, it's Trump's way of connecting with people. It's not always uh, my cup of tea, but, um, you know, it's obviously worked for him. And he's clearly very comfortable dealing with the media. It's very unconventional for, you know, those of us who are, who are used to conventional. But, uh, you know, I guess it works for him. And you had uh, Shepard Smith over at Fox News. I-, I wanted to ask you about what to do, what, what you think should be done with regard to the Russia connections. We're always hearing about Russia connections. And then, you know, you've got that New York Times piece that is really a rehash. It was their main piece yesterday. It was a rehash of what's been known for months. Trump addressed some of that today in the press conference. But they always say, well, there's all this, there, there's these links and there's maybe phone calls. We've got some sources here and there. But we have no evidence of any wrongdoing, collusion or collaboration with the Kremlin. And Shepard Smith asked uh, Senator Mark Warner, the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence, uh, Intelligence Committee, uh, if they have any proof of illegal contact. Play it. Does the intel community have any hard proof that the Trump campaign members or Mike Flynn had any improper or illegal contacts with the Russian government? What we have are the press reports. But do you have any, gen- any hard evidence? No, we, let's put it like this. We believe that we need to see the transcript of the conversation uh, before we reach any final conclusion. But what we do have is the, is the facts and the actions of General Flynn. Uh, I think he means to say no, Andy, because they don't. He, well, no, he means to try not to say no. Right. Uh, and, he, and he did a good job of it, too. Here's how disgraceful that is, Buck. Even the New York Times, uh, which is you know one of the, the chief uh, instigators of all of this, admitted in its in its own way disgraceful story about the fact that Flynn was subjected to uh, interrogation by the Bureau, that the Obama administration, the Obama White House, had asked the Bureau and the Justice Department whether there was any evidence of a quid pro quo or anything untoward in the conversation between General Flynn and the Russian ambassador, and the FBI said no. So it's not like, you know, we, we need to see the tapes of the geniuses in Congress can figure out if there's any wrongdoing. The people who are, who are paid to figure out if there's been wrongdoing say there, there wasn't any. And I know it was, not, it was not what the Times wanted to report, but I, I have to give them some credit for reporting it. Although I must say the fact that that got into the press, that he was uh, interrogated, uh, number one is another indication of uh, people in law enforcement and the intelligence community uh, giving out information to the press that they ought to be strung up for for giving out. Um, but 
you know, leaving that aside, it's pretty clear that there's nothing, there was no wrongdoing involved in this. The fact that they were using the Logan Act, which has never been prosecuted in two plus centuries, uh, is, is flatly unbelievable given the fact that Comey, Director Comey, uh, told us, you know, just a few months ago in connection with Hillary Clinton that even though there was five alarm evidence of a felony, uh, it couldn't be brought because it was a statute that was rarely prosecuted. This is a statute that's never been prosecuted under circumstances where there's no evidence of criminal wrongdoing. Why was he subjected to an FBI interview? I mean, this is really disturbing stuff. And, and yet you've got major media outlets running with stories like FBI not pursuing charges against Flynn. That's that's quite a non-story story, I have to say. I don't think anybody... Right who was being honest about it, thought there would be charges against Flynn, and they were trotting on all this stuff as well about, oh, maybe he lied to the FBI. Well, yeah, maybe a lot of things, Andy. <laughs> I'm not sure right, I'm not sure when maybe this could have been a thing was grounds for reporting that it could be a thing. Yeah, tomorrow it'll be not known yet whether Flynn has stopped beating his wife, you know. Yeah, well, you see, you see so much of that, and I think that there's that's why I'm willing to give Trump a lot of leeway with the the, the tone he takes at these press conferences with the media because they just they never learn their lesson. They absolutely hate this guy. Um, but I, I wanted to. Oh, one more thing before we move on, Andy. I think it's important that we all start saying what the implication of much of the reporting from the Times and others that are going with this, as Trump calls it, the Russia ruse, but are going with this Russia story. What they're saying is that the president is compromised and that they think he's they think that he would betray his country on behalf of Russia. That is what they are saying. I mean, that's what all of this is really about. Yes. In fact, I'm glad you bring that up because I'm writing about General Flynn again uh, for my weekend column. And I want people to understand exactly the point you've just made. There's a a variety of different authorities that a person can be investigated under assuming that he's done something to, to trigger the need for an investigation. And as you know, Buck, the, the, the FBI on the national security side of the House, not the criminal investigative side of the House, gets a lot of slack because part of the mission is intelligence collection, which is, which is a little more amorphous than investigating a crime where you have to have probable cause of a particular kind of transaction. But all that said, if you're targeting somebody for this kind of investigation – you are saying you think you have probable cause that they are agents of a foreign power. Uh, and I, I must say that my jaw dropped when I first read that, they, that after they uh, decided not to do a criminal investigation last year during the presidential campaign on the basis of some server that was in Trump Tower that they were worried about connections with a Russian bank, instead of dropping the whole thing, uh, the Justice Department and the FBI uh, went back to uh, went to the FISA court to try to get authority to investigate Trump and and some of his associates under under that authority, which is really quite stunning. Not just on its face, but uh, but given the fact that everybody was hysterical over Trump suggesting that he'd have a special prosecutor investigate Hillary Clinton, and everybody went crazy and was all indignant. Well, now we know the Obama administration was actually investigating Trump. It's it's stunning. Uh, this, and this whole this whole story, the whole Russia ruse lies uh, on top of a, of a foundation of Donald Trump is so either compromised by or in love with Putin and Russia 
that he would uh, th- that he would collude with them to undermine democracy here and sell out his country. I just if they want to say the president's a traitor, they should just come out and say he's a traitor. They should stop with this. Well, we're just looking into whether we can prove that he would sell out his country to the Russians because we think that's what happened. That that's the way the storyline keeps playing out. But I want to move Andy just to to something that I think got far too little attention this week given the Flynn resignation and everything else going on and it's this ruling in Virginia from Judge Br- uh, Brinkema Brinkema um under uh, about the executive order in which a judge now federal judge in Virginia has said Trump's executive order is explicitly religious bigotry and therefore under the first amendment it is unacceptable. This is in addition to the what we saw with the uh, the part of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals out west. What do you make of this? Because this was not a shot acro- a shot across the bow. This was a shot into the bow of the executive order. Yeah. Well, it's a it's I think it's a silly ruling uh, and a and a silly opinion. It'll hopefully it'll uh, kind of get lost in the ether, Buck, because the Trump administration, the Justice Department told the Ninth Circuit today that the president was going to rescind and replace his executive order. So I think events will supersede Judge Brinkema. But, you know, people should realize she's the judge who mishandled the Masali case. Um, You know, uh, this kind of stuff comes out of there uh, every now and then. Anyone who looks at the four corners of that order uh, would absolutely know it's not a Muslim ban in the sense that she's talking about. It's not bigotry in the sense that she's talking about. The seven Muslim majority countries that are cited are not cited because they're Muslim majority countries. They're cited because there's an Obama era statute that cites them because of terrorism connections uh, that makes it difficult, if not impossible, for us to screen people from those countries who want to come here. That's what it's about. That's common sense. If common sense is now bigotry, there's going to be a lot of bigots in this country. Right. But again, just to to cut through all of the, in this case, legalese, before we're cutting through the media's dancing around, this is a federal judge saying that Trump's order, well, really, actually, that Trump is bigoted. She cited his campaign statements in this decision. So you got a federal judge saying that, that the president's a bigot. That's what she's saying. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's really stunning in this sense, Buck. The law tells us, and our constitutional traditions tell us, that in the absence of, of express, explicit uh, indication that one of the branches of government is doing something wrong, illegal, immoral, what have you, uh, each branch is supposed to respect the other branch and give it the benefit of the doubt. And that's important here because what's what's under consideration in that court is not Trump's campaign stump speeches. There is a a formal executive order. It exists on four corners of a document and it it rises or falls on its own. And what it explicitly relies on is not campaign purple prose, but federal statutes that you can look at and, you know, trace what Trump says he wants to do to the authority that he cites. And there's it, clearly it's permissible. So, you know, this going outside of the order uh, and then relying on his campaign speeches and putting the worst spin on it is wrong about eight ways to Sunday. Yeah, from what I read in, in, in uh, Brinkema, how do we say it, Andy? I'm sorry. Do we... Brinkema. Brinkema. There we go. Brinkema. Judge Brinkema's uh, ruling here. 
she could say that if Trump wants to enforce existing immigration law, that's that's not OK, because uh, Trump is a bigot who doesn't like who doesn't like Mexican people. And then, and then that she could overturn his his immigration orders based on that, because if it's just yeah, well, based on what you think Trump thinks about people, not the law, as you say, well, then you can just make it up as you go along, can't you? Yeah, well, what if we started to take the position, Buck, that we don't have to follow Judge Brinkham's rulings because she says a lot of dumb things uh, and she gets reversed from time to time uh, and therefore she's not reliable. So let's not follow her ruling. I mean, essentially, that's what she's saying. She's saying that, you know, whatever predisposition you have about the tribunal that you happen to be in front of or the or the you know, the government official that uh, is allowed to act in the circumstances, you're allowed to bring your subjective baggage to that uh, to that transaction rather than just say, okay, you know, he's the president. He's got the authority to do this. And if there's not a legal reason to invalidate it, I can't uh, because I happen to not like him and not like his politics and not like the way he speaks. Uh, I get to not follow the law. I mean, that's that's the law of the jungle. Yeah, this is this is lawlessness from the federal bench, and it's it's no other way to put it. Uh, Andrew McCarthy is a former U.S. attorney. He is a best-selling author. Read his latest at nationalreview.com, and if you're not already, follow him on Twitter. Uh, Andy, great to have you. Thanks for sharing your expertise. Come back soon. Buck, thanks so much. All right, Team Buck, we got a lot more in the Freedom Hut. We're going to be back right after this break. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut, my friends. It's lit in here, as I hear the cool kids say. All the lines are lit up. Uh, we've got Dave in Arizona. You are on the Buck Sexton Show, my friend. Welcome. Shields High, what a show. Shields wow. High, my man. How you doing? Oh, great. And I'm so glad your new show is fantastic. This is the best thing that happened to our afternoons. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, man. I'll tell you. Well, I got to tell you, listening to you, and I want to disrupt your monologue, which was fantastic, but I, after eight years, you hit it right on the head. After eight years of, a, of the propagandists in the media and a Mussolini posturing, Castro-like answering president, it's, so, it's such a breath of fresh air to have this counter-propagandist uh, in the form of Trump who speaks honestly. And like you said, whether you like what he says, his style subliminally speaks of human communication, honest counter-propagandist. I mean, and that's the only way you can define it. I mean, we've had this constant, as you said, this cacophony of propaganda. And now, just in this afternoon, this fresh, I've been waiting to hear your opinion all afternoon after this conference, because it was so remarkable and how it affected me as a viewer. Yeah, I was sitting there the whole time saying, this is entertaining. I like everything that he's, I like everything more or less that he's saying. And you could just tell the, the the press are they they do not want to adjust to this new reality, and this is very personal for them. They feel yes, like they feel like they shouldn't be called out for coasting as cloaked Democrats, you know, Democrats, stealth Democrats, uh, who get to pretend that they're just journalists when we all know that every look every person in that room in that in that West Wing press office or, or, or press conference uh, has a point of view and represents an organization that either skews left or skews right. And we should just all be honest about this and that the press wants to pretend that they're still these honest brokers with no political ideology. I just don't want to hear it anymore. But anyway, shield time, man. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, Ken in Mississippi on WBUV. What's up, Ken? Hey, Buck. How you doing? Good, sir. Oh, uh, 
you know, I told your, your call screener that uh, I was going to talk about the press conference, uh, but the gentleman just before me did a good enough job with that. But uh, there's some things that's going on that, that really do bother me, like uh, the reports that uh, uh, President Obama is running a, a counter-presidency campaign two miles from the White House, and he's got 30,000, uh, an army of 30,000 uh, people who are part of this that, that make up the protesters, and I wished at some point you, you would have a show about that one day because that needs to be out there, and I think charges need to be brought up. If, if that's true and he's running this campaign that is bringing violence and everything else to these cities with these protests and riots and everything else, he needs to be held accountable for that. Well, you think and that also, Obama is... is- is somehow involved with the protest riots that we saw in D.C.? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he might he might have created a climate where progressive protesters think that stuff is okay, and I think that he did. I think we could have that discussion, and I would even argue that that's, that's true, that he did create a climate where progressives feel like they're just the righteous and everybody else needs to be, you know, stamped out and, and kicked out of the public square. But I don't know if I don't. I have seen nothing to suggest that Obama is directly tied to any of that. So I, I just want to be careful that we make sure we stay with the facts here. Do you? Do you have you seen anything that suggests that Obama was behind? It? I mean, not behind it, but involved with it at all? Because I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've seen articles, uh, published articles that were talking about it. This organization that he set up, I think it's like FOR or OFR or whatever. I don't know about that. Uh, the organization he set up was kind of like a an army of these uh, Alinskyites that, uh, you know, he's trained and everything else. You can maybe do a little, little research on that. but Yes, sir. Uh, I've got, I can. You've given me my homework for the weekend. I will get on it. I promise. I'm a diligent man. I will look into this. But thank you for calling in. Well, from I'm sorry. We only got about 20 seconds, but go ahead. Okay. I was just going to – one other thing I was going to bring up was why don't we impeach this judge, this Judge Robart or whatever his name is, you know, why can't, why is that, why don't we use what's allowed? I agreed, Ken, it's time to impeach some judges. We'll have to touch on that in the second hour. Uh, the team will be back in just a few. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's why. That's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton, broadcasting to you all from the Freedom Hut here in NYC. We're joined now by my buddy Guy Benson. Guy is a Fox News contributor. He's the author of End of Discussion and Townhall.com's politics editor. Guy, great to have you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Buck. Good to be here. All right. Uh, first of all, you know, I think, didn't did Trump give a shout-out to Town Hall? or to Town Hall definitely got a question in there. I think some other people, or, was it Katie Pavlich? And when are we going to see yeah, Guy Benson throwing throwing down in the West Wing? Well, that was yesterday during the joint session with Benjamin Netanyahu, my colleague Katie Pavlich, uh, who is sort of a de facto member of the White House press corps now. She's sort of pulling double duty for us. She was there, and she was called upon by the president to ask a question. She asked uh, a very good question of Trump, a very good one of Netanyahu. And there was a lot of meltdown yesterday from the press saying Trump's only picking on friendly sources and conservative sources. And he's not taking real questions from real journalists. And uh, it was, look, I agree that picking three of three arguably right-leaning outlets and shutting everyone else out 
could be objectionable. Um, no one ended up asking about the Russian news of the day yesterday. The media was furious about that. But Katie can never be confused with a hardcore Trump supporter. Uh, she contributed to the famous National Review Never Trump edition. And the questions that she asked were on point, journalistic, relevant, and good. So uh, it, was, it was a silly freakout at her and town hall, but it caught the attention of the president. The White House decided, let's do a press conference today, which they did, and uh, it was a doozy. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize this chain of events. So because of some of the because of what happened yesterday, that's what prompted the press conference today. I mean, I'm also sure the White House realized that they really did need to change the narrative from, you know, Vladimir Putin uh, has a has a little like voodoo doll of uh, Donald Trump that he makes do whatever he wants. Right. This is what the this is what they're always trying to get at. And I keep saying, just please, someone give me one bit of evidence we have people in the intelligence community or or in the former white house we're not sure which it's tough to know based on the way the media is sourcing this that are releasing highly classified information to the press to undermine the trump administration to make mike flynn look bad i would think that given that people with that kind of access are willing to break the law and commit a felony to hurt the administration if there was some really juicy stuff out there There'd be something that they could have that's better than what they've already released. I would. I mean, that's just that's just my analysis of it. But I, I'm waiting for some hard evidence. I have seen none. And even Shep Smith today on Fox was asking. Uh, he asked Senator Warner, "Do you guys have any evidence?" And Warner goes, oh, blah, blah, blah. "The answer is no. They do not." Right. And so uh, a couple things to unpack here. First of all, to me that there there are some weird and troubling connections with Trump and his orbit and the Russians. There's something there that doesn't smell completely right. I can't put my finger on it. I'm not making any sort of salacious allegations. I just think that the investigation by the FBI is appropriate by the Senate Intelligence Committee. They should do their work. But that being said, the assumptions that are being drawn and are being intentionally peddled by the media with these big, blaring headlines about connections to Russia and communications during the campaign and Russian intelligence, when you actually read even the stories that are driving this narrative from the New York Times and from CNN, when you read down paragraph after paragraph into these stories, they admit, and the officials, the anonymous officials quoted admit, there is absolutely no evidence of collusion or coordination with the Trump campaign. And we know that they had access to communications and to phone calls. They have the, con- the, the actual content of what went on, and if that content does not prove coordination, that leaves me scratching my head about why this is a giant scandal. And the second part of it, Buck, is both stories, CNN and New York Times, say it is not unusual for people who have done business with Russia or even campaign operatives to be in touch with people connected to Russian intelligence. So to me, that's the double whammy here of of a nothing burger. Show me something real. Have the investigation. Give me something legitimate that was wrong as opposed to just speculation and conjecture, and we'll have a conversation. But for now, they're 
so far has been no there or there. Right, and I think a very you make a very important point, Guy, with they have, whoever leaked the information about Flynn had access to that transcript. I guarantee that if there was anything in that transcript that was really damning when it comes to Flynn, beyond that he apparently talked about you know the new administration and we're going to look at some things, we'll look at sanctions, whatever that may have been, if it was really bad, we would know verbatim what was said. Because that's what would be the most effective way to undermine him. But they didn't say that. They just said, well, he did. T- he, he lied to the vice president. He did talk about the sanctions or whatever it was. And, and that's all we got. So I just I, I want to point that out that once because people have already broken that bright red. Or they've already crossed rather that bright red line of you don't release what would most likely be top secret information based on the collection platforms that that would probably likely be involved here. You don't just release that to the press because it makes someone look dumb. OK, but I got I got some other political stuff I got to ask you about, Guy. Uh, and first and first, I want to ask you about the, the EPA. Uh, looks like there's some stuff going on with Trump and the EPA. What's it? The one a one uh, line, uh, one line EPA bill. What are they doing here? I have not paid much attention to that. All I know, my focus on the EPA has been on the confirmation battle over Scott Pruitt, uh, who is, you know, I think you could argue, you know, a state attorney general from a state that is very hostile uh, to at least the Obama administration's EPA. And now it looks like he is probably good to go in terms of confirmation. There have been uh, at least two Democrats who have come out. I think uh, Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp, their offices have announced uh, that they will be voting in favor of Scott Pruitt uh, and his nomination. There, you know, even if there's a defection or two from, you know, a Susan Collins or something like that on the Republican side, uh, you're going to have someone. You're going to have a very, very different man in charge of the EPA. And you know, I've spoken, Buck, to a couple of my buddies on Capitol Hill, Republicans, who one of the things that really stuck in their craw about the Obama administration is how intensely politicized the Obama energy and EPA departments were. And they really did a lot of power grabbing to set a, a very radical, in some cases, agenda on behalf of, of what they argue, you know, deep-pocketed green environmentalist interests, which is a very powerful lobby in the Democratic Party with lots of money. And I think what we're seeing from Trump at energy and especially at EPA He's saying, all right, if, if you want to get really political with these positions and put sort of ideological warriors in those spots, uh, we're going to do the same thing. So hello, Rick Perry and Scott Pruitt. How do you like them apples? And, uh, you know, both both are going to be ensconced. By the way, what I was trying to uh, bring up with you, Guy, and, and I, I just saw it myself. And, of course, when I was trying to pull it up so I could read you the quote, my computer froze. That's, you know, <laughs> day, a day in the life of Buck in the Freedom Hut. Well, but yeah, uh, but. It might be the Russians, Buck. I I know. It's, it's either the Russians or Soros. It's one or the other. But a Republican, this is from the Daily Caller's site, the, a Republican-backed legislation to eliminate the Environmental Protection Agency is one of the shortest bills Congress has dealt with in a while. Quote, the, the EPA shall terminate on December 31st, 2018, is all the bill says. A Florida Representative Matt uh, Gates is, uh, he introduced the bill. <laughs> I, I guess that's a, that's a way of saying, well, we're really going to really take it to the EPA. We're going to get rid of the EPA. Um, but also we've got uh, Harvard, 
turning down. And this is just breaking now. So everybody, we got breaking news for you. And I'm guy, I know we got you on the phone here, so you might not have had a chance to see yourself. But I'm sure you've been following the uh, follow up to what do, what do they do now with the NSA res- Flynn resigning. Right. Harward was the top pick. Thank heavens it wasn't Petraeus. That is a terrible idea. I can't even believe they're thinking yeah. about it personally. But anyway, yeah. Harward had said no. And you know what? I I don't blame the guy. I, yeah. I can understand why he would say no. What what say you? Uh, first of all, I would going back to your previous point, it, it would be ironic and <laughs> conceivable and plausible that the actual new head of the EPA may support the bill to eliminate the EPA. Uh, but uh, <laughs> That's of, awesome. In terms of Harwood, the national security advisor, I mean, if you're, I don't know this guy's politics. He seems like, from what I've briefly read, like a, a very strong character with a wonderful record. So I have no idea what's motivating him. But if you are looking at what's happening within Trump's national security apparatus right now and the, the turmoil there, despite what the president said today, that everything is a finely tuned machine, uh, you look at that. And you might think to yourself, you know, whatever job I've got right now uh, might be just fine. And I don't want to step into that situation, given the upheaval. And, you know, that that may be the calculation that he made. And then be back to the drawing board for uh, Trump and his advisors. Yeah, look what they've done to Betsy DeVos, who, look, no one's perfect. And people point out to me she's too supportive of Common Core for their taste. She is a a woman who doesn't have to do anything and decided for the last few decades of her life that she was going to try to help with school choice. And they they turned her into a laughing stock and with the whole gun and bear thing. And uh, they've obviously now also been able to run Puzder out uh, out of town. And I can just understand why Harvard would say, you know what, I I just don't need this. But it's a shame. It's a shame when good people don't want to serve their country because they just don't want their reputations completely destroyed, their families humiliated. And just so, you know, Chuck Schumer and some of the Democrats can uh, feel like they're pounding their chests and being good opposition. Yeah, although, I mean, this is a position that's not Senate confirmed. So, you know, he he wouldn't necessarily have to go through quite that, although, of course... Yeah, but they would still, I mean, whether they confirm it or not, they're still going to make a lot of noise about it. Oh, we don't know. And you know, I, I, I just, I, I would think, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe, but then why is he turning it down, guy? You think he just doesn't want to work for Trump? Maybe. Uh, maybe he thinks that there's, that it's, you know, sort of too unsettled and it's too much of a lightning rod right now. Maybe he doesn't want his life and his family dragged through this sort of, mud or at least put under this very hot spotlight there could be a number of different things motivating him I, you know i i don't know nearly enough uh to speculate um but what i do know is you have one guy af- effectively fired the second choice that trump said today at the press conference he has someone in his mind was that harward or is that someone else knowing that harward had already said no uh you know we'll find out soon enough we need a national security advisor we'll have one uh, I agree with you that it, it ought not be David Petraeus, who is someone that I really respect in a lot of ways, and his track record and his and his CV is incredible. But he also was convicted of mishandling classified information, and you know that that's a big reason why Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton for the mishandling of classified information. So, uh, and on that point too, it is a little bit rich to see Donald Trump just fit to be tied and up in arms about the evil nature of these horrible leaks that are in the press that are hurting him politically when, you know, WikiLeaks is something that he cheered on throughout the campaign. And it's not totally apple to apple. 
All right, Guy, that music means we're having too much fun, but I got to bounce. Everybody, if you're not already, follow Guy Benson on uh, Twitter, Guy P. Benson. He is townhall.com's politics editor. Go to townhall.com, and you'll see him on Fox News real soon. Guy, high five. Thanks for joining, my friend. All right, trust me, soon. 844-900-2825. Buck Sexton continues with America Now right after this break. Yeah, I got so fired up, uh, team. Team Buck, I got so fired up about the Trump press conference. I mean, it was it was must-see TV. I was watching it, and then I went over. I did some Fox today. And, in fact, those of you who can, uh, but obviously you should set your DVR for 8 o'clock on Fox Business because I'm joining Kennedy at Fox News at around 8, 10 Eastern. But set your DVR because you're listening to the radio at 8 Eastern, obviously. Uh, but I, I was on the way over there, and I, I made sure that I brought headphones with me so that I could... Uh, listen as I was on the street making my way through Midtown Manhattan to the entirety of the press conference at Trump. Because I was like, this is great. I've got to hear all of this. I really enjoyed it. But I got so fixated on that that I jumped uh, over the main story that was getting so much attention this morning. And it's this Wall Street Journal piece, which I think is interesting. I've seen it elsewhere before the Wall Street Journal. It was up last week on some lesser known sites. And people were certainly banding about the accusation that the intelligence community, of which I was formerly uh, a little GS nobody, uh, that the intelligence community was withholding information from the president, Donald Trump, the commander in chief, because he could not be trusted. And I wanted to bring this up because that's what I mean by they're accusing him of treason. I mean, they're really accusing him of treason. This is not kind of sort of maybe stuff. This isn't, oh, Buck, you know, you're going too far with this. No. Once you have former or uh, current government officials that are saying, I can't tell the commander in chief sensitive stuff about Russia because he's going to give that information to Russia against our interests. You are accusing the president of being a traitor to his country, because if somebody who wasn't the president did that, if when I was in the CIA again, I mean, you know. Who was I? But I'm just saying one of my colleagues in the CIA had passed along information to the Russians that was sensitive and classified. You'd say that that's that's a traitor. So they're withholding evidence. I'm sorry. They're withholding intelligence, not evidence from the commander in chief because they think that he's a traitor or he would be. He would betray his country. This is a scurrilous accusation, and it is also based on everything we know baseless and yet here we are uh, there's a lot that i want to unpack with this and if you have if you want to talk about this because we're going to be we have some fantastic guests lined up for the rest of the show so i won't spend quite as much time in this as i had originally planned so call in 844-900-2825 if you've got a, a question or a comment about this specifically this notion that people in the intel community are Holding back information from the president of the United States because he cannot be trusted. I was told in my first weeks at the agency, understand you are an executive branch employee at the CIA. Yeah, you're a spy. You're doing all this cool spy stuff. Whatever. You work for the president of the United States. I know people say, oh, Buck, you work for the American people. Yeah, but you, you, you're part of the executive branch. I mean, the whole mission is the to work for the people of the United States, but the boss is the president. And so if you're ever in a position where the president says, I want to know, because they didn't want you to ever be, oh, well, I can't tell you that, sir. 
or oh sir i'm i'm not i'm not sure if i'm allowed to tell you that the answer it's kind of like in ghostbusters when he says ray when somebody asks you if you're a god you say yes when the president and you're in the intelligence community asks you any question ghostbusters great movie endorsed by the freedom hut by the way when the president asks you any question you answer it on the spot fully to the best of your knowledge no hesitation because he's the commander in chief you don't go, oh, I need, I need to go and ask my supervisors at Langley. False. And I briefed the president. So I'm not just pulling this out of, I had to go through that process. And any, anything the president wanted to know, it's not my information, it's the government's information. I tell him. So this, this idea that there are people who are so self-righteous, so deluded, so full of themselves, that they have access to classified government information and they're not going to share with the commander in chief because they can't trust him, that's not their call. And if they are so sure that the president of the United States right now, that Donald Trump is a traitor to his country, they should resign immediately. They should come forward and they should say, I don't trust Donald Trump with this information. That's why I resigned. And I'm saying that he is a traitor to his country. Ask yourself this question. If they won't do that, why? Because they don't want to deal with the heat. Oh, I'm sorry. We have people. You work for the government, you work for the CIA, you're supposed to be at least willing to risk your life, and many of us did in war zones and other places abroad. And as you know, we have lost people. That's There's the intelligence memorial wall of stars at Langley. And what, we're not supposed to be willing to go forth? And, how could they? They're so sure of this that they're telling the Wall Street Journal and other papers, they're so sure of this that they'll withhold information from the commander-in-chief. When they work for the commander-in-chief, it's not their information in the first place. And that is dereliction of their duty. But they're not willing They're not willing to take any heat. They're not willing to expose themselves to public opprobrium, to criticism, to counter-accusations. Well, what does that say about these brave members? And I also want to say this before we have to go into a break here. I don't like that people keep saying Trump's at war with the intelligence community. There's a small faction of people that are leaking, that are trying to undermine, and that are breaking the law to hurt this presidency. That's not the enormous number of patriots that work for the intelligence community. That's a different thing. All right, team. We've got a lot more. Back right after this break. Buck is back. Hey, everybody, Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825. We're so busy in the Freedom Hut, my friends. Team Buck, we get so into the news cycle that sometimes there's something I want to talk to you about, but it just gets left in the cutting room floor. The good news is we got... We get to hang out every day for a few hours, so I can always hit it the next day. There was a very interesting meeting yesterday between uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel and Donald Trump to walk us through what we need to know about this, what it means, the ins and outs, and of course how the press covered it all. We've got David Efun. He is the editor-in-chief of The Algaminer. Go check out thealgaminer.com. Uh, David, great to have you. Yes, always a pleasure, but Oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you for a second. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Great to have you. So, uh, let's start with uh, what Netanyahu and Trump, well, what, what Trump said yesterday. Play the clip. I believe that the I'm sorry, Netanyahu said for peace comes from a regional approach. 
from involving our newfound Arab partners in the pursuit of a broader peace and peace with the Palestinians. And I greatly look forward to discussing this in detail with you, Mr. President, because I think that if we work together, we have a shot. And we have been discussing that, and it is something that is very different, hasn't been discussed before, and it's actually a much bigger deal, a much more important deal in a sense. Uh, it would take in many, many countries, and it would cover a very large territory. Uh, so, David, a lot of the press focus yesterday was how Trump, was on how Trump said that he's not sure it's a two-state, maybe it's a one-state. He was being off-the-cuff Trump, what was your overall impression of this meeting and what it means for U.S.-Israeli relations going forward? Well, well, first of all, it's an unprecedented uh, upgrade. I mean, look, the, the truth is, under the Obama administration, there was really only one way to go. So it couldn't really have gotten any worse. But Trump has really taken things to a whole new level. And, you know, today we ran an, an interview with Sebastian Gorka, who's a special assistant for the president, senior aide to the president. And one of the things he said is that the unofficial policy of the new administration is similar to that of the Marines, and that is uh, 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 we're the the best, I don't know if I'm quoting word for word, but uh, the best of friends, best to have as a friend and and the worst enemy, the best friend and the worst enemy, right? And he said Israel is a friend, and and we're going to treat them like the best friend, and there are others, Iran and others, who are enemies, and that's how they're going to be treated, and that's the strongest departure. Uh, from the previous administration in terms of foreign policy. And uh, the meeting with Israel really highlighted that in a significant way. Um, in terms of, of, of the major policy changes, I think there are, there are two things that are monumental. The first one is that this administration is not putting its finger on the scale. They're not predetermining the outcome. They're not saying, look, you guys have got to go negotiate, and by the way, we're going to tell you what results you better come up with. They're saying, listen, we want to get you guys to the table. We're open to any ideas of what might work as long as the two of you agree. We're not going to tell you what the results should be, uh, which is what the Obama administration really insisted on. The second thing, uh, and, and I would say it's the biggest news that everybody's completely ignored, and possibly this was actually the prime minister's biggest intention in coming here to get this from uh, President Trump. And that is in the, in the press release statement that was issued after the meeting, the president assured Prime Minister Netanyahu that they would not allow Iran to get nuclear weapons capability, whereas the previous administration has always been saying they're going to stop nuclear weapons, but not to allow nuclear weapons capability, which means Iran can't even have the tools that would allow it to create a nuclear weapon at any stage. That's a, a, that could lead to, to very significant policy shifts. What did you think of so many members of the press reporting on as as the first and and most important item of the of the whole meeting the Trump statement about uh, a, a two state or a one state solution is should we think of that as so uh, anathema do, do we have to go into this with the previous policy frameworks in place how do you think that that would play out you know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's actually the biggest deal. I mean, it's, it's certainly a massive contrast to Obama, but the truth is the outline here was really Obama. He was the one who came along and said, look, this is exactly how it's got to be, and started pushing the Israelis right into the corner. And we saw where that led, because, you know, they, these guys have their backs against the wall. They're, they're struggling on every single border against various enemies. It's just not going to work. 
the first thing is really need to know is that the U.S. really does have their back and that, uh, that their security is safe. And then they can say, look, what's it going to take to make peace? I think the president's approach is the right approach, and that is to say, listen, you guys, it's your future. You guys are at the negotiating table. You guys talk about it. Uh, I'm not going to come here and tell you what the outcome should be. And I think it's the right approach. I think historically it's been an approach that uh, has worked better. Uh, and I think uh, we're going to see very different uh, progress here than under the Obama. And of course, the, the media also seized on Trump's comment about settlements. We actually have some audio on that. Play it. As far as settlements, I'd like to see you hold back on settlements for a little bit. Uh, we'll uh, work something out, but I would like to see a deal be made. I think a deal will be made. Bibi and I have known each other a long time. A smart man, great negotiator. And I think we're going to make a deal. It might be a bigger and better deal than people in this room even understand. That's a possibility. So let's see what we do. Let's try it. Doesn't sound too optimistic, but that's... <laughs> Says good negotiator. That's the art of the deal. I also want to thank. <laughs> There's obviously a warmth between these two that I think is is was visible and that was lacking in the interactions between uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and Obama in particularly the latter part of, of his presidency. Uh, but does that give this president more leeway to be a a helpful partner for what will really be a deal that the U.S. is perhaps uh, a, a player in in some respect, but isn't you know, isn't the one that's actually going to have to live with the consequences. Yes, well, I think that's something that he showed that he really understands. I mean, look, uh, his position on the settlements uh, in terms of, of mentioning it and saying that it wasn't advisable, I think that's kind of been a position of presidents for, for a long time. Uh, but the big difference is that, that Obama really turned that into not just the central uh, cornerstone of his Middle East policy, of, of his Israel-Palestinian policy. It was also the cornerstone of his middle, entire Middle East policy. And at certain periods, it seemed to be the cornerstone of his entire foreign policy. I mean, there was an unbelievable obsession over this issue in terms of grandstanding and statements and, and, and obviously the UN Security Council resolution that we just saw. Uh, so there's certainly a departure from that. I mean, this is not the central issue. There's a a whole bunch of other things that need to be addressed. Uh, of course, you know, the, the, the president is saying, look, it's not advisable, uh, but he's certainly not coming down with a sledgehammer the way that Obama did. What should be the first steps? If I could get you, and you're probably already a few steps ahead of me here, I'm sure you could reach out to the White House yourself and set this up. But just because, you know, we're hanging in the Freedom Hunt here together, if I could get you a sit-down with Trump and his top national security and, and diplomatic personnel, and they were saying, okay, give give me the next... 12 months, not the next four years, just the next 12 months on what needs to be done to get uh, Israeli-Palestinian negotiations moving in the right direction and get this thing, uh, get this thing moving at all. Because as we know, under the Obama administration, they couldn't even get to first base. So how do they avoid that? Well, I think the first thing, and, and this is something that we saw the beginning of today in the Senate hearing with the new ambassador to Israel, David Freeman. And that, and that is that it's going to be very difficult to make any progress under the existing leadership, the leadership of Mahmoud Abbas. I mean, first of all, his leadership is totally illegitimate. I mean, he's, he's overstayed his term by uh, quite a number of years. And second of all, he represents an old, entrenched, uh, ideologically motivated old guard 
what we need here is somebody that represents the young people, the people who are only uh, are looking, their highest priority is to create a better future for their children. It's economic, it's more safety, it's more security. They're not guided by the radical ideology that we've seen driving so much of Palestinian society for so many years. So uh, I think either, either Abbas himself, I mean, he's already uh, lining up Session plan. Either he's going to be able to uh, produce a, a massive uh, 180 degree turn, which is very unlikely, or the first step is going to be a reassessment of the leadership structure on the other side to get some people in there who are pragmatists, who are thinking about this in a practical way in terms of what's going to be better for the future of their people, as opposed to thinking about it in terms of, look, here's what our ideology is. We don't think from the river to the sea, we don't think those guys should be there at all, and uh, we're going to fight. Uh, tooth and nail until we get them out of there. Uh, David Efun is the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. Uh, you can check it out at algaminer.com. They do great work over there. David, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Always a pleasure, bud. Buck Sexton with America Now continues. We've got uh, phone lines open, 844-900-2825. Be right back after the break. The Buck is back. Thank you so much for hanging out with me in the Freedom Hunt tonight. Great to have you as always, by my side here, fellow patriots, uh, appreciate your time very much. 844-900-2825. We have uh, Richard in West Virginia. Richard, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, thank you so much. You know, as far as, uh, it's been a while ago, but when you first started, you were talking about the uh, how much you enjoyed the press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been words used like refreshing. It was. I think, uh, personally, that Donald Trump is going to be the most effective president we've ever had. Um, he just, I mean, he said things like, uh, during my campaign, I just back up what I say. I just do what I said I was going to do. And that, that's just it. And he just doesn't, uh, he just tells the press what he thinks of them and, I don't really have a problem with it. You can't really tell. It sounds like he's telling the truth to me. And it just sounds like, uh, hey, we got a good man here. It's what it sounds like to me. And he's just, uh, I mean, as far as Russia, I heard him say that one thing he's talking about Russia. He says, I have no involvement with that whatsoever. And he says that nobody in my administration that I know of has. And he said, but Hillary Clinton did saying all kind of good stuff like that. I mean, he's just convincing to me. So, look, I thought I thought he as the as the as the uh, the folks said, I thought he crushed it. I thought he did a great job of the press conference. And um, I, I don't I don't know why the, the press thinks that acting like this is so uncouth and so barbarous and terrible. And the the more they do that, the more it makes a lot of people like myself. And I, I don't want to speak for you, Richard, but it sounds like you might agree with me here. That you know, Trump needs to give some of these folks in the press a talking to. Uh, you know, he, he needs to lay down the law a little bit because they've just been getting away with nonsense for far too long. That's exactly right. I've heard others. Uh, that's why he'd say he's just completely different, and I just don't have a problem. He just sounds like he means everything that he says, and uh, uh, hip hip hooray for uh, Donald Trump. That's the way I look at it. I, I just think uh, I'm sort of repeating myself, but I think he's going to be the most effective president we've ever had. All right, Rich. Shield time, my man. West Virginia, appreciate you calling in. Uh, let's take uh, Joey in Georgia. Joey, how are you listening to the show? 
Hey, Buck, how you doing, buddy? Hey, first off, man, I just want to tell you, welcome to my radio. I have been listening to you for the last few years, filling in for other hosts. Welcome to your own show, my friend. Thank you so much. What station are you on? I'm on uh, 107.3 out of Statesboro, Georgia. All right. Fantastic. So what's on your mind? Well, uh, just actually earlier tonight, what we were talking about, I thought Trump's press conference today was brilliant. That was absolutely <laughs> I obviously that's, agree with you, yeah. We have, we, have, we have been waiting on somebody on our side to stand up and do what he did today. He called him out. He said, hey, can you arrange that meeting? I'd love to take that meeting. If you could make that happen, let's do it. I thought that was fantastic. Well, you know, here's a a perfect example, Joey, is that yesterday we had Guy Benson all from Town Hall. Guy's a friend of mine, and and, and he's uh, an excellent guy. I love Guy. Yeah, Guy's an excellent, excellent journalist and a really nice, and a really nice guy, not to repeat his name, but a really nice dude. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) he's he's Town Hall, Katie Pavlich, also a really nice person and very good at her job. Uh, she asked Ooh, a question. I, also love Katie. I, I've watched I know Katie. we're gonna get we're gonna. I've just, I just I reminded myself it. we're gonna ask Katie on the show soon. Uh, uh, producer Amy, let's get Katie on next week if she'll if she has time to call in. Uh, but you know they ask questions. The questions are good questions, but because the press didn't have people asking antagonistic, undermining questions, it's like democracy is dead and the First Amendment's been lit on fire. You know, as though they're not going to get plenty of opportunities to ask questions that are, you know, well, Donald Trump, seeing as you're a bigot and this judge just said you're a bigot and also you're in the pocket of Russia and you're a traitor, you know, a, a traitor in that you would do anything to help Putin. You know, okay, so so they didn't get to ask that question for or those questions for a day. You'd think they could just wait, but no, they pout like little like little media children. Okay, well, uh, second point. Uh, first off, this is the same press that said, "Excuse me, Mr. President, do you wear boxers or briefs?" And um, that's an old Clinton uh, throwback, right? He was like, "I wear whatever. <laughs> I wear whatever. Exactly. I wear whatever the ladies <laughs> tell me to wear." I just really wants to go. That's what I wear. Uh, but anyway. Uh, the second question on that, if you're talking about treason, uh, excuse me, who released the transcripts of this conversation between Flynn and the Russian ambassador? Yeah, it's a felony. The only, I... reason, we would, the only reason we would have those is because the NSA, and as any government would do, we're listening to what the other politicians are talking about in the other countries. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I... If we had any evidence that Flynn did anything wrong, do you not think it would have been like Trump? Well, that's the point, Joey, that I I keep hitting. You've already got people using intelligence intercepts of private phone conversations to undermine this administration. If there was some Russia connection, don't you think we'd hear about it? And really, do people uh, think yeah, that Trump? We, we, do, do people we, think that Trump is so? This is sort of like, uh, and I had a little exchange on Twitter actually before because I'm doing Facebook and Twitter while I'm on the show here. Um, somebody saying to me, "Well, you know, maybe," or, or CNN wrote something about how they're not going to prosecute Flynn, and I tweeted out, "Well, what are they going to prosecute him for?" And people say, "Oh, lying to the FBI." What? There's no, there's no evidence he lied to the FBI, and Flynn he is not a, he's FBI. not an idiot. He would know that's a felony. He's not going to lie to the FBI. If anybody had an issue, it would be our current vice president. He might be the only person he lied to, but other than that, 
the FBI? What are they going to charge? Yeah, look, look, lying to your wife, you know, lying to your wife is, is bad and you shouldn't do it and you should be punished by your wife if you do that. Lying to special agent so-and-so can get you sent to federal prison. So, you know, you do take a different approach when you're talking to somebody that your freedom is at stake if you lie. than if you're talking to somebody, you figure you can smooth it over and, you know, maybe a little white lie, not a big deal, right? So, but okay. they're already running with the story that Flynn maybe lied to the FBI based on nothing. They, they have no evidence for this whatsoever. Is that like the difference between Martha Stewart and Hillary Clinton? They um, lied to the FBI. Well, yeah, no, Hillary, Hillary, uh, Martha Stewart. Yeah, people always think, by the way, that she uh, and uh, Joey from Georgia Shields High. Great to great to talk to you. People always think that Martha Stewart was prosecuted for insider trading. False. Just like Scooter Libby was prosecuted for leaking a, a name under the Intelligence Identities Protection Act. False. Both of them, both of them were prosecuted for lying to the FBI about non-crimes. Keep that in mind. So, and in the Scooter Libby thing, uh, you know, he's a lawyer. He, he knew what he was. They just put him through the ringer, and eventually they figured they could find something where they could convince a jury that he had been untruthful and totally, totally unfair. Anyway, wow, I cannot believe the third hour of the show is already here. Well, the show is a rocking team. Freedom Hut will be back in just a few minutes. Buck is back. Hey, everybody, Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825. We are cruising into the third hour here, my friends. It is flying by tonight on Buck Sexton with America Now. We've got some fantastic guests this hour to discuss all the latest with you, including... Right now, Heather McDonald. She is a Manhattan Institute senior fellow and author of The War on Cops, an excellent book. Heather, thank you so much for calling in. Oh, thanks for having me on, Buck. I appreciate it. So a day without migrants or a day without immigrants, I should say, a protest that was supposed to be nationwide where you had immigrants staying home from their jobs. What was this all about? What is the point that is trying to be made here, Heather? Well, I say bring it on, because if it means a day without lawlessness, that's a good thing for the American economy and for the American polity, really. If it means that employers are not breaking the law by hiring illegal aliens or employing them, and illegal aliens are not breaking the law by working uh, when they're not even supposed to be in this country, uh, this is something to be celebrated. But obviously, the, the point that they're trying to make is that uh, the country would just fall to its knees without uh, mass, low-skilled Hispanic immigration, and I, I just don't think that's the case. Well, I have to ask, when did all of a sudden it become okay for everyone, including the, the press playing along with this, to conflate legal and illegal immigration? It, it's all the same. So to say that one is uh, opposed to illegal immigration, i.e. immigration that is in violation of U.S. federal law, is somehow uh, means that you hate all immigrants. I don't know why this is allowed to continue as a as a talking point, and the press seems to play along. No one is suggesting that legal immigrants all be kicked out, all be deported, aren't welcome here. But I, I suppose that that's what we're supposed to take from a lot of the uh, a lot of the stories that are out today in conjunction with this day without immigrants talking about how much they contribute to the economy and how much they OK, but illegal immigrants are what Donald Trump has been focusing on, not legal immigrants as a problem. So why the 
Why the mix-up? It seems very intentional. And it's even worse than that, Buck, because what he's focusing on is illegal immigrants who go on to commit other crimes. It's astounding the gall of the illegal alien lobby. They are going for the most extreme case, which is to argue that it is morally reprehensible to deport an illegal alien criminal. Because that's what, you know, there was this hysteria over last weekend's alleged sweeps of illegal aliens. 600 across the country out of well over 12 million illegal aliens. In New York, the press, the left-wing press, flipped out over the fact that there were 50 illegal alien criminals picked up out of 1.1 million in the New York area. (laughs) So this is peanuts. But what gets left out is that these are people who have committed a range of crimes, but the illegal alien advocates are daring to make the case that it is inappropriate and illegitimate to even think of removing an illegal alien criminal. Therefore, it's all the more illegitimate to remove an illegal alien who has not committed additional crimes. The the end game here, Buck, is to completely emasculate and delegitimate the very idea of deportation. And once that happens, you have no more borders because the only response that fits the crime of illegal entry is deportation. If you can't deport somebody, then there's no such thing as illegal entry. You right. You're not going to put somebody in prison for 30 years for overstaying a visa. You're just not going to do that. That's, that's, no. not, that's not sustainable. That's not going to happen. And, and if, you, if you just have a fine, if that's what, well, can they come here illegally? They have to pay $5,000. That just becomes the price of illegal entry. The other, the other sort of meme that's so amazing out here is, well, now these immigrants are living in fear. Well, they assume the risk of living in fear. If you don't want to live in fear in the United States, how about you come in legally? But you can't come in illegally and then complain that you're fearing deportation because that is the lawful, legally enacted response to unlawful entry that every other country in the world practices without apology, including, of course, Mexico. I feel like all you have to, all one has to do is look at the major newspapers across the country, L.A. Times, Washington Post, New York Times, and the usage of the term undocumented. I mean, this is one of the great disingenuous euphemisms of all time, right? That this is somehow, we're now all supposed to use this term, which is really a meaningless term. First of all, they do have documents. They just don't have documents that allow them to be U.S. citizens or, or residents or green card holders. Um, so to me, the, the whole discussion has to be turned over. The whole discussion has to be changed. And there has to be a willingness to, as you say, talk about what would it mean if we didn't deport anybody other than, other than rapists and murderers? Well, then you get to come here if if you're not, and stay if you're not a rapist or a murderer, because as you point out, deportation is the only way to deal with people in the country illegally. There's there's right. really no other good way. There's no other way that does uh, not simply normalize it. Uh, and yes, undocumented suggests that, well, it was an oversight of the government that didn't print out the documents. No, they are here illegally. And, you know, 
that that's the issue, not that they don't have their papers. And their laws Heather, I, I know you look very closely at crime and, and uh, crime statistics, and you have uh, you've written The War on Cops which is a great book, and I recommend it to everybody listening. Uh, what can you say and what can you tell us about the role of specifically illegal immigrants in crime across the country? We know that illegal immigrants tend to be clustered in major urban areas when we look at the breakdowns, at least the official breakdowns that I've seen. Do we have a sense of what the illegal immigrant contribution to crime in major urban centers is or is it just too hard to get the numbers or where are we on that data? Well, it is hard to get the uh, numbers. And one reason it is, is that However minuscule the government's efforts to deport illegal alien criminals, there is some degree of that going on. And so that means that they are not going to be present in the prison population to the same extent as if they were here without any kind of deportation. So they get removed in a way that would uh, mask their usual recidivism rates. In places like Los Angeles County, they actually are about 20% of the uh, imprisoned felon population. Frankly, Buck, the effect of low-skilled illegal aliens on a locality's crime rates depends on what the pre-existing population was. And it's, it's sort of a crude way to say it, but if you have illegal alien Guatemalan gangbangers coming into a largely middle-class uh, white area, that area is going to see large increases in gang activity. But on the other hand, what you've seen in even in South Central Los Angeles, where they came in and were displacing the black population, that actually stabilized the community because the black population has the highest rates of crime of any group in this country. So it depends on whom they're displacing. Um, and, and so to talk about averages, you know, you hear the illegal alien lobby saying, well, they, uh, first generation immigrants on average have lower rates of crime than native Americans. Again, if you, if you tease out different ethnic groups, that's not true. They do have lower crime rates than blacks by and large, but they have higher crime rates than whites. And when we look at this problem now and how the, the Trump administration is approaching illegal immigration, what do you think so far, at least in terms of the, the rhetoric and the proposed policies, are they getting right? And what should they either push harder on or step back from? Oh, I hope they keep pushing. I mean, there is nothing that is a greater insult to the rule of law than a sanctuary city. It is so ironic that this is something embraced by the left when it is a simple a mirror image of the 60s, you know, segregation at South that was refusing federal authority, for a, a big city police chief to have the temerity to argue that his community is better off by releasing illegal alien criminals back into the streets rather than handing them over to ICE for deportation, which is what the essence of the sanctuary city issue is about. The press does not convey this, what this is. In its essence, it is about on the rare occasion when ICE decides to get its act together and say, you know what, we really should remove this illegal alien criminal. They go to a local jail official and say, okay, before you let him out for his two-year sentence for, for car theft, hold on to him for 48 hours so that we can come and pick him up. 
Instead, these big city police chiefs are saying, we're not going to comply. Better to have an illegal alien car thief back in our community than have him deported. And that is because of the pressure of demographics. You have places like New York, California, where the demographic change has become so advanced that any type of politics that supports the rule of law when it comes to immigration is really a dead end politically. Heather McDonald is the author of The War on Cops and is a Manhattan Institute senior fellow. Heather, always appreciate when you stop by and uh, share your expertise with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Beck. Great to talk to you. All right, 844-900-2825. Buck Sexton with America Now continues rocking... All right, everybody. Team Buck, we got a lot of calls coming in. Every line that we have here in the Freedom Hunt is lit. That's how we roll. We have Darby in Dallas. Great to talk to you, Darby, on the iHeartMedia app. What is up? Hey, my friend. Good to talk to you. I wanted to tell you, first congratulate you on the new show. You're, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you so uh, much, Darby. Hey, uh, I, I, I called actually to comment about Trump's, uh, uh, President Trump's uh, press conference today. I thought he knocked it out of the park. It was exactly what needed to happen. But your last caller really, uh, your last guest really, really drove something home for me. You know, I live in Dallas, actually about 30 miles north of Dallas in a town called Prosper. And the, uh, the day without illegal immigrants affected me absolutely none at all. And I think personally, it's, it's a shame. And I think you're 100% accurate that the, the, the way that the media tries to make immigrants the same as an illegal immigrant is shameful. And I can't believe that they get away with it, but they seem to get away with just about everything else. That's why I was so glad to see Trump do what he did and call him out on it. So I'll you, know, you know, Darby, uh, we take in a million people. We make a million new permanent residents and citizens in total every year in this country, about, on average, in recent, in the last decade or so. A million, okay, every year. That's through the legal immigration system. These are, these are green card holders. These are uh, people who become U.S. citizens. So we are taking in... A, a vast number of people through the legal system, the legal immigration system that we have, when you have individuals, uh, thousands of them, tens of thousands, whatever it is across the country, who are staying home from work to point out how integral they are to the economy, it does bring up some other very worthwhile questions. That I, And I don't, I don't bring this up to sound like I'm being mean or heartless, but much of our immigration system right now is based on, it's a chain migration system, i.e. if one person becomes a legal resident, then they can sponsor their family and their uncles and their cousins. And, you know, then all of a sudden you have more people coming to the front of the line based on that familial tie. So that doesn't mean that we're taking immigrants who are going to contribute the most to the economy, who are the most beneficial to the economy. Other countries do that and don't get called racist and xenophobic and horrible. And when I mean other countries, I don't mean... You know, that that Tajikistan does it. I mean, that Canada does it. I mean, Australia does it. This is how they pick their immigrants. And yet in this country, I think some immigrants have started to believe the rhetoric about how they're doing these jobs Americans won't do. And, you know, they're they're like the, you know, the, the real fabric of this country is immigrant labor. And well, first of all, we're taking in a million a year. Second of all, it's not based on who the, who's the most skilled or will contribute the most to the economy. It's based on who has relatives here, first and foremost. And if we start to look at this policy, I think people realize that we could be doing a better job.
because the immigration policy should be run for the benefit. And this is where the left and the right diverge. This is where Democrats and Republicans separate. The immigration policy of this country should be geared towards benefiting those who are here, first and foremost. That is the primary obligation of our immigration system. It is not to make us feel like we're all warm and fuzzy and nice and big hugs. That's fine, too. Sometimes you're taking some refugees and such. But the reality is it's supposed to benefit economically the Americans who are already here. Agree 100 percent. That is an absolutely excellent point. It is for the people that are here, the citizens and the people who are trying to become citizens of this country. If, if you're not here to contribute to that, then we don't need you. And, and you're, every other country in the world. In fact, I've got a friend that just went to Australia unbelievably hard to get to australia they're not racist neither are we yeah i hear you man darby and dallas shields high great to great to have you on thank you for calling in uh kevin in boston on wkox kevin great to have you hey great to be here with you coming in loud and clear from boston in new england buck love it and i i just want to put up this what, uh, just one point before I get to uh, the press conference, the dynamic and invigorating, just not Buck Sexton, I mean, <laughs> Sean Spicer, step aside, Donald J. today. But listen, any of our elected officials on the local, municipal level, uh, state level, or across this fine nation on the federal level, America is warm and welcoming to anyone. It just, we need to have people participate. Go down and sign up. You never hear about having an 18-month or 24-month window. Go down. Tell us who you are. You wouldn't invite Buck Sexton, wouldn't invite anybody into their home unless they knew who they are, what their intention is, and where they want to go. And let's not even bring up how much Ebola or Zika that they have or their devilish background. That's what, and again, it's so simple. But we don't want to do that. We just want to bring people in, have them dependence, and and make sure that they register to vote on the Democratic side. It's pathetic, isn't it, Buck? Well, it's clearly a, a power play. That's the way the, the Democrats are basing all of their immigration decisions, not on what's best for the country, but what's best for the Democratic Party, which is not the same thing. And all you have to do is go back and read the editorial pages of major newspapers. I pointed out, I think earlier this week, the New York Times was writing about how in 1999, uh, illegal immigration was depressing the wages of workers in this country and more specifically, African-American workers in this country who are competing with legal immigrants for a lot of entry level and skilled but low skilled jobs. Uh, now they would say that that sort of talk is nonsense, that uh, illegal immigrants all only bring prosperity. And look, the, the Democrats won't even admit that there are trade-offs when you're talking about illegal immigration. They act like this is only a good thing. And this is re- reminds me of some of my more radical libertarian friends who take the position of, well, just take in more, just take in more people, because the more people that are here, the more economic productivity you have. And I want to say, well, yeah, GDP goes up. But so do Medicare and Medicaid costs, and we got to pay into, people got to pay into Social Security, and are they going to be on benefits or not? We, we one thing that you know we have we have put on layaway right now. We are not dealing with entitlements as a country at all. It is completely back of everyone's mind, if on their mind even a little bit, and that factors in the immigration discussion too. We're twenty trillion dollars in the hole, and we can't talk about whether people are contributing or you know are they are they net positive or. Uh, net negative to the Treasury. That's how we should start to view future immigration policy. 
we are going to implode if we do not concentrate on those issues. Uh, that is what is going to bring down America first. And it's quite simple. I, I mean, it's sad that just across the board, and when you put on PBS or even going into a Starbucks, go on and, and hook up to their Wi-Fi. There'll be, again, it's all on emotion. It's not about logic. And they take this family from here, or a Syrian refugee family, and everything is just exploited. How all about right. this afternoon with Tunnel? we got, we got to bounce, Kevin, from Boston, but uh, Shields High, thank you for calling in. Great to talk to you. Um, man, uh, what else did I want to tell you about? I, I'm just running through topics left and right here. Oh, uh, go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast to listen to the show on demand. Uh, you can send that link to a friend, maybe. That would be cool. Also, if you're not already, follow me on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We post a lot of the stories we talk about here. You also can chat with other members of uh, Team Buck, other people who are part of the Freedom Hut. Uh, you can join them there and go back and forth. And we've got really fantastic people, and it's a very cool uh, self-selecting community of those who listen to this show. you got a very uh, well-informed and uh, very kind and, and decent group of people that will be talking to you there on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. So enjoy that. Also, Twitter at Buck Sexton. All right. Be back right after this break with more.
Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. Our team, we're back, and we're joined by Joel Pollack. He is Breitbart News' senior editor and co-author of the book, How Trump Won the Inside Story of a Revolution. Great to have you, Joel. Good to be with you. Uh, I, I got to ask you, just what, what what's your uh, your overall reaction to today's press conference? We've been talking about it a lot on the show, but I, I wanted to hear I wanted to hear your take. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Well worth the price of admission. Yeah, I have to say, I I, I didn't I didn't want it to stop. And, uh, it was uh, it was one of the more entertaining uh, one of the more entertaining press conference, the most entertaining press conference I think I've ever seen. Actually, I, th- I could probably say that. So. All right, we're, we're in agreement on that. You've got a story up on Breitbart right now about the majority of refugees coming from countries that were covered under Trump's executive order, uh, or rather a majority of refugees that uh, have come in since the executive order was struck down would have been covered under the executive order. What's going on here? I think that's just what we call economics. If you know that something is going to be scarce, it becomes much more valuable. And if you know that that window could be closed because someone wants to close it, suddenly becomes very important to go through it. So what I think we've seen is people who wanted to come to America from those countries suddenly rushing to do it before the order gets renewed or before the court case is decided in the other direction. You know, it's just meant that there's a run to the border from those countries because now they know they're on notice. And I think that it's disproportionately high for that reason. Um, I don't think there's any other more complicated explanation than that once once something becomes scarce it becomes much more valuable and so i think people who might have been thinking about coming bumped up their travel plans because they knew that the window could be closed what are your expectations for the trump executive order that we've been told is coming out next week i'm 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 assuming that this is going to be an amended version of the now judicially at least temporarily overruled executive order uh, but I, I'm wondering if you've talked to any sources or you have any sense of uh, what we should be what we should be expecting from that. It's very hard to know. I don't know that there's a way they can defeat all of the uh, judgments from the courts because some of the some of the judges said that it was a Muslim ban, even though the language of the executive order said nothing about Muslims. Uh, and it, simply by referring to his campaign rhetoric, well, if you're going to refer to his campaign rhetoric, which you normally don't do in a court case, normally not allowed into evidence, but if you're going to refer to that, then it doesn't allow him to do anything. That means any action he takes is going to be motivated by improper religious discrimination motivations, no matter what he does, right? If you can just say, well, he said this on the campaign trail, then anything he does could be attributed to a desire to discriminate. So... I don't know how they're going to get around that. I mean, these are very poor judgments for that reason. Maybe they'll just hope that if they just pass something more moderate or they issue something more moderate. I mean, it's hard to know how how much more moderate you could be than than what they actually did. Maybe they could be more explicit about allowing green card holders and permanent residents and people with already existing visas and that sort of thing. Maybe they could be more explicit about some of the exceptions instead of leaving it to the discretion of border officials. But you know what? Whether you get into this country or not is always at the discretion of border officials. You can have a perfectly valid visa. You can have a green card. And once you show up at the border, if the person at customs doesn't like you, 
doesn't like the way you're behaving or doesn't like the way you answer questions, they can keep you out of the country. And that's, that has nothing to do with an executive order. That's just the way it is. I think a lot of and Americans you know, are shocked at how much power, uh, you're absolutely right about, the way that it functions at our borders, uh, how much power Immigration and Customs Enforcement has in the moment of your arrival into the United States, uh, they can go through your personal effects, they can look through your laptop, your phone, they can do pretty much whatever they want to do in terms of uh, search and seizure, they can break things that you have with you if they think you might be hiding something in it you have very little recourse that's just been the way it is for quite some time but now you have the courts that have usurped the prerogative of the president uh, of the president as well as of the congress uh, trump's executive order was based on a congressional statute that says that the president may bar any class of illegal aliens he wants if he thinks that it's a national security concern the judges have essentially said on matters of discretion put in the president's hand we don't agree with the president's discretion so that so it doesn't count anymore this is nonsense it is nonsense and the arguments against the executive order were also nonsense um you can argue on the policy grounds maybe it's not a good policy maybe he should have done something else but he certainly was within his legal and constitutional powers to do that and i think rather than wait for the courts to work through it given that he said he had to do this for national security reasons because he had information that only he could see that meant it was necessary for national security i think based on that public argument he's going ahead with a new order because it wouldn't make sense to delay something for national security based on when the courts can get around to it so i think simply in terms of his past justifications of the policy i think that it makes sense for him to issue something new, which is apparently what they've decided to do. But I think had we gone to the Supreme Court, you would have seen the lower courts either overruled or a very stinging dissent from a divided, possibly 4-4 divided Supreme Court. You would have seen a lot of the arguments that you've heard conservatives make. Uh, you, you, you would have had those um, made very, very stridently. Joel Pollack is Breitbart News senior editor and co-author of the book, How Trump Won, The Inside Story of a Revolution. Joel, really appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Phones are open. 844-900-2825. We will be right back. I got to say, I love this. Uh, Welcome back to Freedom Hunt, everybody. Uh, (laughs) You've got... EPA, this is the New York Times, EPA workers are trying to block Pruitt in a show of defiance. According to the Times here, employees of the Environmental Protection Agency, which, speaking of Ghostbusters, you know it's a conservative movie because it's really a story. Forget about the ghosts and the possible end of the world, end of days storyline. You've got a bunch of guys who are entrepreneurs, small business owners, Really, the economic engine of America, because they ain't afraid of no ghosts, and they are, of course, set upon by Walter Peck, who is an EPA employee who is very, very snide and does not want to allow our pioneering entrepreneurs in the arts of ghost incarceration, uh, does not want them to be able to pursue the American dream. In their firehouse, which is actually located down here in Tribeca, which is very close to where I am 
right now. Do you guys know that the Ghostbusters? Yeah, it's right. It's right by here. Yeah, good stuff. Good good times. Um, so. EPA is the bad guy in that movie. Very conservative message all around. And uh, yay, small business. So uh, now we've got the EPA calling. Remember, people in the EPA, employees of the EPA are calling senators to uh, beg and plead with them not to allow the vote uh, or not to allow Scott Pruitt to get through his confirmation vote. And I mean, it is kind of funny. It is very another pop culture reference here is very uh, amusing that you have at least i think so um that you have somebody who in ron swanson of parks and rec fashion and those of you listening if you've not watched parks and recreation on netflix i highly recommend it although i recommend you start with season two you don't miss that much in season one and the show really hits its stride in season two and then you can go back when you've done all the seasons and watch season one afterwards it's on netflix free i love the show ron swanson one of the great characters of all time plays is a libertarian who works for the government and hates the government and is always trying to undermine the government from the inside a fantastic message for america's children i think it's great and he also has a he has an ambassador bolton level mustache which is like which is the facial hair equivalent of a ninth degree black belt i mean it is some next level stuff so uh the epa has its or the EPA has employees that are calling in that want to stop the confirmation. I, I just want to ask them, uh, what do they think exactly is going to be accomplished by this? Do they think that Trump is all of a sudden going to put a climate change alarmist in the role of EPA head? I don't think so. Prove it's that bad that they think they're going to get somebody better in the role. Uh, maybe they cling to some hope that they can keep the post vacant long enough that Trump will lose interest and they'll just put some middling glorified bureaucrat at the top of the Environmental Protection Agency and nobody will pay much attention. And it can be business as usual. I don't think so. But this also raises, once again, the specter of the fourth branch, the unelected branch of government, the permanent bureaucracy, and how it is truly politicized there are people who over time have increasingly become i think emboldened uh, in their posts in government to think that this is first of all that the, the federal government now owes them a job for life and that was a very strong sentiment when i worked i mean i worked for the federal government i know i know what it's like to be a a bureaucrat I and mean, i work for the cia which as federal agencies go has a pretty clearly defined mission. It's pretty lean and mean. I'm not going to say there's not uh, some ex- excess, and it's always possible for a less than stellar employee at any of these places to hide in the flabby folds of the smelly, flabby folds of the bureaucracy. Um, so that's always possible, too. And it exists at all these different federal agencies. But you have these EPA employees that are taking a very clear political stance against the soon-to-be-up-for-confirmation vote, uh, Scott Pruitt. And you have a lot of pressure on from the Republican side, and I think it'll come from at least some members of Congress, too. We've talked about the bill that is one line. It says the EPA will be <laughs> eliminated by 2018. Uh, and these these are issues that should be left to states to determine for themselves. That is why is that so utterly you have to really think about this so 
offensive. It's it's not just that they disagree, and I think this is important. Why is that so offensive to Democrats? That states, remember, the state is a government too. Oh man, state government can be terrible. There's all I have all kinds of problems with state government here in, in New York. I'm sure many of you, especially if you live in a blue state, think to yourself, wow, this place is run very poorly. But at least it's more localized than the federal government. And when you're talking about environmental issues, land use issues, waterways, wouldn't you want the state to be more involved in proper usage and protection than having a one-size-fits-all policy coming down from the federal government? The, the idea that, that the left seems to run with here all the time is, well, if you don't have the EPA calling all the shots, you're just going to have, and you'll hear this, you'll hear this from uh, Bill Maher will say this, you know, they're dumping toxic waste in our rivers. I mean, no, no, no one wants toxic waste in the rivers. You know, nobody wants uh, Pink Paradise to put up a parking lot. I mean, nobody wants the, uh, isn't that an environmentalist song? I think so. Don't it always seem to go, you don't know what it's got till it's gone. Pink Paradise put up a parking lot. I think it's a, I think it's about the environment. Unless I'm missing, I, I always have to be careful with songs from like the '60s and the '70s because it seems like they're either about na- naughty time or drugs. And sometimes you, you you're singing a song to yourself, even you're like that song is filthy. You don't even realize. But I digress. So the Environmental Protection Agency is a place where, of course, you're going to have a lot of bureaucrats who, one, have a have an inflated sense, I think, of their mission because they're not content to just keep lead out of our water and keep toxic waste from being dumped in your backyard. And that that's not what the really contentious aspects of the EPA uh, are about. They, they want to regulate CO2 in the air, all under this premise that If we don't do this, if we don't regulate CO2 in the air, we are going to have um, uh, we're we're going to have a global meltdown. I mean, this used to be all, of course, talked about as global warming, but now it's climate change. They started to go for a while with climate disruption, which I don't even know what that means. It's almost just like saying there's the weather and it changes. What is a disrupted climate? If it's going to be disrupted, you would have to establish for me what would be the equivalent of, you know, your body tries to maintain homeostasis. It tries to maintain a, a, a functioning balance. What is homeostasis or what is stasis even for the environment? I don't know. You know? There, you go back. You, you can find this yourself. Every time you have someone who goes on TV and tries to claim that weather is so much more dangerous now and so much worse... Uh, they don't have access or refuse to use the Google because there were terrible storms and all sorts of climate disruptions well before any of this happened. But anyway, back to the EPA and the Pruitt vote tomorrow. Uh, These federal agencies are overrun with people who tend to want to work in, in the federal level of government in the first place, which means you're going to have uh, individuals who one will oftentimes and look the federal government is huge and there are patriots all over the place working the federal government and, and great people and very hardworking people and it was funny in the cia i knew people who were really overpaid and really underpaid but they were all making the same money if you know what i mean i mean there are people that the government was getting much more than its money's worth from their efforts and there were people who 
uh, you know, shouldn't have they should have been paid what free summer interns get paid. They were lucky. They just got to show up and, and collect a paycheck. Both of those things existed. And they existed in a way that you don't see in the private sector, usually, or, or at least in the same fashion, because there's some sense of accountability, right? It's not just, well, we have a budget, we need bodies, bodies go in chairs, bodies get paychecks. That's oftentimes what it feels like in some different parts of the federal government. So you've got this infiltration of the bureaucracy by progressives and by ideologues, and that they would think that they are going to do themselves any favors by blocking Trump's EPA uh, nominee. Why do they think that, first of all, why do they think they'll get a better uh, a better option the second time around? That's not clear to me at all. But also, they look, they as private citizens have every right to uh, petition their senators or their congressmen or congresswomen, and that's fine. But then we have to also ask the question, do we think that they maybe are working that they would work behind the scenes to sabotage Pruitt if he were to be the EPA director? Do we think that they would just decide to comply? We've already seen with some of the other agencies that whether it's the Department of Justice or some rogue elements in the intel community, there are people who take it upon themselves to enact uh, their own little private political war against the incoming administration or now the, the newly the newly formed administration so epa you can ima- you can just get a sense of it given its mission and what it has been pushing so hard for and what it was doing remember under the obama administration it was saying we can regulate air pollution and co2 which co2 is not pollution but they pretend that it's a pollutant between states, which gives them unlimited authority to uh, authority to meddle in all sorts of commercial enterprises. Those of you who are on hold, by the way, I'm sorry I didn't get to all the calls today. Uh, call if you give us a ring tomorrow, we will get to you. We just had a ton of calls and uh, we had a lot of great guests, and I didn't get to all the topics even that I wanted. This is my way of saying, please do join tomorrow night, six to nine Eastern, here in the Freedom Hut, uh, because we're going to have a lot to talk about, and I feel like I never have enough time with all of you. And uh, tonight is one of those nights. I've got another three hours of show in my head, and I've got about 10 seconds before I've got to bounce. So, Team Buck, thank you so much for joining me on Buck Saxon with America Now. Until next time, shields high.